You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's help in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel, 5768-2008. This week's Parsha is very exciting. It's Parsha's Yisro. And as you all know, this week's Parsha is the receiving of the Torah, the giving of the Torah. It's the climax of the exodus from Egypt. It's the reason that the people of Israel left Egypt and God took them out with great signs and great wonders, brought them through the sea, and He brought them to Har Sinai, to Mount Sinai. And it was ready, and all the people of Israel were ready. And what did they say? They said, Nase v'nishma v'yanu kol ha'am yachdov v'yoymru. They answered, and they said, Kol asher diber Hashem, everything that Hashem has spoken, Nase v'nishma, we will do and we will hear. This excitement was palpable, it can be felt to this day. I'm so excited about this podcast, I wanted to do something very different, unlike anything I've ever done in the Parsha podcast. We're going to have a song, this song, v'yanu kol ha'am yachdov, they all said together, and they said, Everything that Hashem said we will do and we will hear. Okay, now wherever you are, it doesn't matter to me if you're on a bus, you're in a car, you got to dance, you got to tap your foot, you got to do something because this is the most exciting moment of history. The people of Israel are about to receive the Torah and they say, Okay, so you can take off your dancing shoes now, and now we're going to get put on our thinking caps because we've got some serious questions that we need to address and a serious lesson that we need to learn, and here we go. The first issue we need to raise is based on the beginning of the parsha, chapter 18, verse 13. It says, One of the, one of the things that happens when Yisro comes, his father-in-law, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law comes and says to him, you know, you have to change this whole, this whole method. You're teaching the people and there's too many, there's too many people and there's only one of you. So you have to change the whole method. So when did that happen? It happened Vayehimi Macharas, the day after. So simply, when you read the the pasuk, is talking about the day after Yisro came, but actually, Chazal tell us our sages tell us that that's not exactly when it was talking about. Actually, chronologically, this whole story with Yisro is completely out of order. This story actually happened after the Torah was given, after the Jews sinned with a Maisah Egel. Vayihimi Macharas means the day after Yom Kippur. Moshe Rabbeinu had already gone up onto Har Sinai. He'd already received the Torah. He'd come back down. He'd found the Jews already worshiping the golden calf. He'd gone back up onto Har Sinai. Asked God for forgiveness for forty days. The fortieth day was Yom Kippur. On that fortieth day, afterwards he came down. Vayihimi Macharas. The day after, he was sitting and he was teaching the people. And it was at that point that Yisro said to him, you can't do this by yourself, you must do something about this, you have to change the whole system. And we're mukhrach to say this, we must say this, because otherwise, what's he teaching? If the Torah wasn't yet given, what is Moshe Rabbeinu teaching the people? So it must be that this actually happened much later. So the question is, obviously, why was this parsha, this whole parsha with Yisro, why was it placed before Kabbalah Torah? If it's something that happened chronologically much later, why did Hashem deem it necessary to place this parsha here? What do we learn from Yisro? What do we learn from Yisro's attitude? What do we learn from his whole essence that's necessary for us to understand before we read the story of the receiving of the Torah? So the parsha goes on to tell us the unbelievable revelation that the people of Israel had. They, had the, they were lifted to the greatest heights of prophecy. Every single man, woman, and child 
Over two million people all saw and heard God speak. Obviously, God has no body. They didn't see anything physical. The, the Torah itself testifies to that fact. However, they were able to experience God in the highest way possible. Every single man, woman, and child. And Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to ask the people and to tell them that now they're going to become a nation unto God. They're going to be a very special nation, a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. Mamlechatz Kohanim v'Goy Kodesh. And that's what, the, what, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is to say to the people of Israel. And they respond, And they responded and they said, Everything that Hashem has said, we will do. Interestingly, at this point, it doesn't say, The first time, it doesn't say that we will do and we will hear, we will listen. But rather, it's actually something that's mentioned later on in Parsha's Mishpatim, in next week's Parsha. But if you read the chronology, you understand what actually happened after the Ten Commandments were given. So before they actually received the rest of the Torah, so they said the words, Kol asher diber Hashem, everything that Hashem said, Nasa v'nishma, we will do and we will hear. Our sages tell us that for those two words, Nasa v'nishma, we will do and we will hear. Each of those two words merited for the people of Israel a special keser, a special crown. And this obviously means some kind of spiritual crown, a spiritual connection to Hashem. Interestingly, as a side point, Keser, the gematria, the numerical value of the word Keser is 620. If you count the letters of the whole Ten Commandments, there are 620 letters. And I've heard that it represents the fact that there are 613 commandments plus seven rabbinical commandments, adding up to 620. So each of the Jews received a Keser 620, representing the fact that they received and were ready to accept wholeheartedly the Torah. Now, an important question that I once heard is as follows. Why was it necessary for the Jews to receive a separate crown for Nasa and a separate crown for Nishma? Wouldn't it have been enough? They said they're going to do it. They really meant it. They're going to do it. They're going to listen. They're going to do whatever Hashem says. Why did they need two crowns? That's the second question. The first question was, why was the story of Yisrael placed before Kabbalah Sator, before the receiving of the Torah? And the second question here is, why did they need two crowns, one for Nasa and one for Nishma? Before we answer these questions, I'm going to share with you another idea, ask a question on that, and then we're going to answer all the questions together. The idea goes as follows. Chazal tell us, our sages tell us in Pirkei Avos, Kol Talmuda Anyone whose learning is greater than his actions, Ein Talmuda Miskayemes. His learning will not last. However, Kol Shemaisov Talmudai, Whoever, whoever has more actions, more deeds than his learning, so then Talmuda Miskayemes, then his learning will indeed last. So my Rebbe, Rebbe Moshe Brown, asked a very important question about this Maimur Chazal, this statement of our sages. Assuming that the words Talmudoi means the actual level of knowledge, and assuming that Maisov means fulfilling that knowledge, how is it humanly possible for someone to have Maisov Meruba Mi Talmudo? How can you do more than you know? I must be limited by nature to only be able to do what, that which I know. I can't do more than that. So what does it mean that you have more actions, more Maisov than Talmud? So my Rebbe explains this with another Mamar Chazal, with another idea from our sages. And that idea is that a person who desires to do a mitzvah, a person who wants to do a positive commandment, Hashem considers it as if he's done it. However, a person who desires to do an avera, a prohibition, and he does not successfully do it, Hashem does not consider it as if he's done it. Now what that means is a person can have a tremendous desire. He so much wants to do all of the laws of the Torah. He wants to fulfill every single commandment, but he just doesn't know. He hasn't gotten to the, to the level where he's learned all of the laws. Nevertheless, if he sincerely wants to know all the laws, he's trying, he's started, he's making his efforts, but he hasn't gotten there yet. Hashem considers it as if he's done it. 
That's how it's possible to have Maisov Meruba Mitamudo. You can have more actions than what you've learned. You can have done more than you know. Because if you desire to do all that God wants you to do, if you desire to have that full connection to God, but you just haven't learned about it yet, you just haven't reached that level yet, you just haven't had the time or the chance, but you really do want to and you're really making that effort and you're really starting and you're really trying, Hashem considers it as if you've done all those things, even though you haven't learned about it yet. Now the question that should strike you here is, how is it considered as if I've done it? Just because I decide I want to do it, what's the meaning of this? It's very nice, it's very nice in theory, and God knows what I want to do, and it connects me to God, but I haven't done it yet, I haven't learned about it yet. How is it considered that I've done it? How does this work? To begin to answer these questions, we need to understand something very fundamental about a Chag that we just experienced, which was Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat, you ask. What do we do on Tu Bishvat? We eat fruits, we eat fruits, we eat fruits. What else is, what's special about Tu Bishvat? What is the Indian of Tu Bishvat? You know, it's something that happens every single year. And most of us, myself included, don't think about it too much. We eat fruits. What is the real significance of Tu Bishvat? So Tu Bishvat, as we know, is the Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot. It's the new year for the trees. That sounds very nice. <laughs> what does that mean? The new year for the trees. I mean, what do you need a new year for the trees? So the answer to this question is that we know that there are certain things that apply to fruits, certain laws that apply to fruits. For instance, you're not allowed to eat the fruits of a tree for the first three years at all. The fourth year, Karim Ravai, it's called Ravai, the fourth year fruits, you have to bring them to Jerusalem and eat them in Jerusalem. After that, you can eat them all you want. Now when does that year start? It does not start in Tishrei, it doesn't start by Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't start in Nisan, it starts on Tu Bishvat. What that means is, if let's say you have a fruit that bloomed on the day before Tu Bishvat, so even though it's only been one day from the time it bloomed until Tu Bishvat, it's now in the second year. Now the question is, what is the significance of Tu Bishvat? Why is this considered the first day of the year for these trees, for the fruits, really, more accurately? The answer is found in a Gemara, where else? Gemara Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah on Daf Yud Aleph, Amad Aleph, page 11a. The Gemara there says that what's the reason why Tu Bishvat is the first day of the, of the year for the trees? And the answer the Gemara says is, Hoyl v'yotsu Since most of the rains have fallen already in Israel, so therefore it's a new year for the trees. So what, what does that have to do with the fruits? So Rashi there tells us that since most of the rains have already fallen, the sap which is inside of the tree, the sap that gets produced from the rain that's going to provide the fruit with its sustenance is already there. The potential for the fruits are already there, even though the tree has not yet even bud. Nothing has happened. No buds, no growth, no fruits, no flowers, nothing. Nothing has happened yet. There's potential inside of the tree, and that's enough to be called the new year for the trees. This is where it all begins, folks. It begins right here, with the potential. We don't even see anything on the surface on the outside, but we know what's going on inside. And that's what counts. That's when the beginning is. And the beginning is the most important time because that's where everything follows from. I think that you're beginning to see where I'm heading with this beginning. Let's return to the previous question. Why is it that if a person just desires to do something, that's enough for Hashem to consider it as if He's done it? And the answer is, as we see from Tu Bishvat, from the trees, we see that what's called the beginning, where has it all started? It has started in that initial thought, in that initial potential. There's nothing there on the outside. We don't see any fruits yet. However, it's already starting to grow. It's already 
the potential is, is inside. It's waiting to come out. That's where the initial beginnings are. That's where it's considered the new year. And it's the same thing with a person. If a person desires and wants to come close to Hashem, he wants to do the mitzvahs, he wants to do all of the halacha, it's considered as if he's done it. It's there already. The potential for growth is there. Now let's return back to the previous question. The question was, why did the people of Israel receive two crowns? One for Naseh and one for Nishma. One for we will do and one for we will listen. And the answer is that when you come in, you begin with the idea, I will do. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter to me. Hashem, you want me to do something? I know that you have the best in mind for me. Hashem, I know that whatever you're going to say is going to be the best thing for me, for my spirituality. When you're Naseh, when you're ready to say, I will do no matter what, you're Nishma. When you say, I will listen, I'm going to hear what you have to say, it's going to be a completely different listen. And that's because you've begun with a tremendous amount of potential, a tremendous amount of energy, and that energy says, everything that's going to come after this is going to be successful. Everything that's going to be come after this, I'm going to do with my full heart. So that's why there's something for Nasa, because the Nasa changes the Nishma. You get two crowns. One is for Nasa, I will do. Because when you have, a, when you have an I will do, there's a completely different Nishma, a completely different I will listen. That's why there were two Ksar, and that's why there were two crowns. And now let's return finally back to the first question. The first question was, why was it necessary for the Torah to place the parsha of Yisro? The whole story of Yisro, why did that have to come before the, the receiving of the Torah? And I believe that the answer has to do with the fact that how does the, the verses start telling us that Yisro came? It says, Vayishma Yisro. Yisro heard. What did he hear? The verses tell us that he heard about the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. Rashi tells us he heard about Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea and the, the fight with Amalek. What was different about him? Everyone heard. The whole world heard. That's what the Pasuk tells us. The verses tell us. All of the world heard about what was going on. What was different about Yisro? The answer was, Yisro, who was Yisro? Yisro had worshipped every single Avodazar, every single idolatry in the entire world, searching for the truth. That's the type of person that he was. He was a listener. He was looking for truth. And when he heard the real truth, Vayishma Yisro, he was ready to hear the truth. And therefore he came. He was ready to hear the truth. And therefore he was ready to go into action. And that's how he was able to join the people of Israel, to become one of the first Gerim, the first converts to Judaism, because he had an open heart and an open mind. And therefore he was able, he had the potential inside, he had that ability inside to hear the truth and to attach himself to the truth. And that's something that we all have inside of ourselves. We have the ability to desire, to want, even if we aren't there yet, even if we haven't gotten there yet, we don't know everything that we need to know, but we want to know everything that we need to know. And we've started and we've tried and we're trying and we're, keep, we're going to keep on trying and Hashem is going to help us. You know, there's always two approaches in life. One approach is, oh, don't tell me that law. If I find out that law, then I have to do it. Oh, don't tell me that. Oh, why are you telling me all this information? I can't handle it. It's too much for me. That's one approach. The other approach is, I so much, I want to do as much as I can. I'm not ready yet. I'm not holding there yet. But I really, really want to be holding there. I really, really want to be doing that. I'm going to learn one thing at a time. I'm going to take it one step at a time. And I'm going to reach to the highest level that I possibly can in a healthy way, obviously. But I have to take it one step at a time. Please teach me more. Teach me more. One thing at a time, but teach me more. That's the attitude that Hashem wants from us. If we have that attitude, if we learn that lesson from the trees, we learn it from Tu B'Shvat, we see the potentials inside. It's not necessarily on the outside yet, but it's starting to grow, it's starting to get there, it's, it's, it's starting to blossom, it's blooming, the fruits are coming out, slowly, one step at a time, that's our approach, if our approach is that way, Hashem considers it, that machshava tova, that good thought, Hashem is mitzdarif l'maisa, He attaches it as if we've actually done it, and that can be our attitude throughout life, thanks for listening, and have a very good Shabbos.